Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Six rings and football things back at Gillette Stadium for our weekly beat writer chat. This week, it is what I'm told the most handsome man on NBC Sports Boston, Phil Perry. Uh, I get that every time I do certain other podcasts around the internet. But Phil, thank you for joining us. And are you the most handsome man on NBC Sports Boston? Listen, who am I to argue? If other podcasts are saying it, Andy, it must be true. People are saying. People are saying is popular in the media. It's a way to ask a tough question. So maybe I'll say people are saying the Patriots screwed up the trade deadline, Phil Perry. They did nothing. They did not acquire any talent. There were some rumors and rumblings. Maybe they were even in on big-time players like Chase Young. Uh, maybe some fans dreamed of trading for a new quarterback. Uh, some fans dreamed of trading away Josh Uche and Kyle Duggar. Patriots did uh, not a zip zilch. Uh, just reaction to the trade deadline. I don't think they screwed it up because I don't think there were many offers out there for them that would have made sense for them to pull the trigger. I was someone who said before the deadline that if you could get 
a third or fourth round pick for Josh Uche, who was widely considered their most valuable trade chip, then yeah, go ahead. Pull the trigger. Those are real picks. A fifth rounder is kind of where I drew the line. And I understand you may lose Josh Uche for nothing this offseason. You may lose Kyle Duggar. You may lose Hunter Henry, Trent Brown. There's a number of free agents to be that you might lose for zero in terms of compensatory pick value on the other end because they have so much cap space. They might spend it all. Therefore, the comp picks get canceled out, not to get all nitty-gritty uh, and overthecap.com on you. But I think there is value in holding on to some of those guys, Andy, for two reasons. Number one, I do think, and I know the culture is not real strong right now, I think it's safe to say, but I heard one person describe culture as what you allow to happen. And I think even if Bill Belichick's not here next year, I think if the franchise allows the team to tank, which is what you'd be doing if you traded away two or three of your, I don't know, 10 best players, that to me is a bad message to the guys that are going to be back in the locker room next year and the staff that might be back next year because you're not going to completely start from scratch. So that's number one. Try to have a competitive season, even though it looks like it's a lost cause. And number two, it does buy you time to try to work out extensions with some of these guys. And they should be working to extend some of these guys. Their track record in terms of re-upping with draft picks is bananas. Zach Cox from Nesson tweeted out yesterday, the last player they signed, top three, top three round pick that they signed to a second contract was Deron Harmon in 2013. That is mind-boggling to me. Re-up with Uche. Re-up with Duggar. These guys are pretty good players. And yeah, you might have to pay a premium. But to me, if you think they're program guys, if they are are part of uh, any solution moving forward, you should be trying to keep them around. And so that's why I'm okay with not dealing them for fifth-round picks. It's funny. I wasn't going to go here. But you bring up culture. And you bring up the re-signings. And certainly the Raiders are in the news. And we'll get to that in a minute. But Jacoby Myers is the guy that... Probably was a culture setter, probably should have been re-signed. Do you think there is an issue right now in terms of whatever that is? And could that be aided by a simple, Kyle Duggar has reached a four-year, $70 million contract extension with the Patriots. Do they have, I mean, the Patriot way was a thing for so long. Now, I think people sometimes struggle to describe what the Patriot way was, but whatever it is now is the Patriot way lost. I don't know if signing these guys necessarily fixes that problem or or starts to steer the team in the right direction. But if they're the right guys, it could. It empowers them, I think. I think it allows the team in the locker room to become theirs. They get some ownership over what's happening here. And I think that kind of stuff matters. That's why I was stunned that they didn't do more to try to bring back Jacoby Myers. He is somebody who did everything that they wanted him to do. They want all their players to do. Get the most out of your ability. Do all the right things off the field. Block in the run game. You know, show real toughness. Be that kind of player. I thought he was on track to maybe be a captain. And I know there are players that are still in the locker room now who felt that way too about Jacoby Myers. And now he's gone so he could bring in Juju Smith-Schuster? I mean, like, how is that helping the the fabric of the whatever it is that you want this franchise to be from an intangible standpoint? So is it is it the right move just to say, well, now we got to give those guys money? Well, not if they're the, the wrong guys. But I think from what we know of Duggar, is he, a, is he a vocal leader? Not necessarily, in my opinion. But I think he's a, a hard worker, and he's pretty dependable, and I think he's played through injury. And Josh Uche, he's been banged up, so I don't know if you want to give him a ton of money. But 
these guys are at least guys that are familiar with your program. And I think once you start rolling the dice on free agents and spending a lot of money on these guys and hoping that they can latch on to whatever it is that the message is that you're sending, I think there's so much unknown there. I think that's part of the reason the team has lost its way. Yeah, I always use the word regret. Like, will you regret having the guy on your team? You may regret the contract, whatever, money. You start pinching pennies. But, like, Jacoby Myers is the guy. I never thought you'd regret having him on your team. I thought he was the – and I think Kyle Duggar is the same type of guy. Um, you're right. He's he's not necessarily a vocal leader. He's not necessarily going to be Rodney Harrison. But he's playing some of his best football, I would argue, um, over the last few weeks. Now, maybe that's a contract year push or not. Who knows? But he is durable. You talk to people, and they like him. They like the work ethic. They like the ability. If anything, I think the one shot against him, maybe he hasn't reached the level that some people think his physical ability would take him to. But that brings me to the team right now. Physical ability. Uh, I know injuries are becoming a talking point. A lot of fans and even media members are sort of tweeting lists of injuries and games missed and times missed. And where the hell is this football team right now just in terms of lining up and putting 11 guys on offense, 11 guys on defense, and competing at a requisite NFL level every Sunday? They are at or near the bottom of the league in terms of overall talent. I mean, the Cardinals maybe are a less talented team. And the reason I say maybe is because there's actually a few receivers on their team that I think might be the best receivers on your team right now if they were here. Um, We could go through the rosters, but, you know, Buda Baker would be one of your best players. That's that's arguably the worst team in football, and you're looking at their roster and saying, it might be nice to have some of those guys. (laughs) Like, that's just where they are talent-wise. In terms of high-end talents, who could you even say they have? And and I – to the people's point, whoever's pointing out the injuries – Matthew Judon, Christian Gonzalez, Kendrick Bourne, those are real injuries. That's a real problem. Trent Brown, I would say, whether you like or don't like, and I know you've got some strong feelings on Trent Brown, his level of ability is pretty high-end. Uh, Christian Barmore, I would say, is a talented player. But especially offensively, they're they're completely devoid of, I think, what you really need to compete in, in 2023. And so that's why, that's why it's... Um, I hesitate to use the word depressing, but it's a little, it's got to be tough. If you're Robert Kraft, you're looking at this and you're saying, even if we make major changes to the coach in the front office next year, and we have a top five pick and we have a lot of cap space, given some of the people who could be out this off season, is this a one-year fix? Especially on the offensive side of the ball. To me, defensively, it's not really the problem. Is this a one-year, is this a one-off season fix? Or is this two or maybe more than that before we really need to get to um, the level offensively where the contending teams are, I think it's hard to envision it being a quick turnaround. Yeah, I was um, a little more optimistic of that earlier in the year. And as the season has worn on and I've realized the talent they could lose, whether, you know, the one-year guys, the Hunter Henrys, the Mike Onwenus, the Kyle Duggars, the Josh Uches, yeah, you're going to have a good draft pick. Yeah, you're going to have cap space. But are you just filling those holes and not actually advancing are you just sort of spinning your tires so given that given what you said earlier about culture and tanking and not tanking and the message that may send I mean the example I think that would be closest is Houston Houston feels like because they won a football game last year they catapulted the franchise forward because the quarterback they like sort of a butterfly effect positive what is the best case scenario not the real one because I know best case scenario is you win nine games in a row and you finish with 11 wins you make playoffs you almost went that far on TV the other night when I was on with you. But what's the 
realistic best case scenario that can happen for this team over the months of November and December. I appreciate you continuing to bring up the fact that I suggested that the Patriots might be able to win nine in a row in 2023. Uh, it was a devil's advocate sort of thing. Andy, you know, you say weird stuff on TV t- sometimes. Um, best case scenario for me would be somehow, not that you win nine games, but that Mac Jones fixes himself to the level where you think he can be a good quarterback in the right situation, okay? And then with whatever pick you have, so say they win a few games because of that, and instead of a top five pick, it's uh, it's the 10th pick. With that pick, you get a legitimate number one type of receiver. You re-sign Trent Brown. Sorry, Andy. You're back on, you're back on the hook with Trent Brown because if you lose him, then that first pick probably has to go to a left tackle because I don't even know if there are many you know starting left tackle caliber players that are going to be available in free agency this year. So now you've got the tackle thing kind of figured out. You've got a real receiver. You've got a quarterback you think you can be good if everything is is aligned. And then that way, that the offense at least then is representative enough that with a, a really good defense, say it's a top five defense next year, best case scenario, again, that's what we're talking about here, now you're talking about a team that's sniffing the postseason next year. That, to me, is sort of the best-case scenario. But how many questions do we have about Mac Jones being able to fix this and be the guy that can lead a pretty good team? And is that weapon really going to be there at 10? You know, these receivers that are the high, high-end receivers, Marvin Harrison Jr., he's not going to last till 10. Is there somebody behind him that could make a similar impact? I don't know. So it's sort of pie-in-the-sky thinking, but I, I think that would be – something approaching the best case scenario for them moving forward. So that is your pie in the sky. My pie in the sky is much more negative as you're probably not surprised to find out. Um, It's how can it be pie in the sky? If it's negative, I I, long-term pie delayed gratification pie. And the road I go down is, and I started this earlier in the year, sort of tongue in cheek jokingly, but I believe it more now. Um, It's a slogan. We're not tanking. We just suck. Um, and I actually think that's the best case scenario for the final nine weeks. And I know it's it's almost blasphemy to say in New England, but I think the closer you are to one of those top two to three draft picks and getting, you mentioned Marvin Harrison, so he could be the best player in the draft. And maybe he lets a quarterback fall to three and you're at three, but if you're at four, you miss Drake May. Or whoever the quarterback is, that'll play itself out in January, February, March. I really do believe you need that quarterback uh, to start over, to really start the process over. I have kind of closed the door on Mac. I agree with you. If some pie-in-the-sky way Mac could become a franchise quarterback or at least tease you into thinking for more than a week that he's a franchise quarterback, maybe that allows you to really utilize your assets elsewhere. But I think the reality is, and we see it with the NFL, the quarterback. Like People love to bitch about Josh Allen. They're a good football team. They're going to compete. They're going to be in the hunt. Um, the Bengals, oh, the Usak, you this, and then all of a sudden Joe Burrow looks better, and the Bengals, are, you need the quarterback. So my pie in the sky best case scenario is you maybe win one game the rest of the way, um, and you deal with the pain now for the hope that will come in April. And I think that's fair. And if you're a fan out there who's feeling the way you are, I, I totally get that. I guess I am looking at this team, and there's something still that tells me that because – not just because of the way the teams are built, because I think, again, I think the Patriots have an argument as being the worst team talent-wise in the NFL. I am really having a hard time envisioning them landing one of the top two quarterbacks, Andy. I think they're going to go one-two. 
And I just don't think the Cardinals are going to let the opportunity pass. They have two first-round picks. Now we're getting way down the line. We're in the spring now. I'm talking about, <laughs> you know, packaging picks together. But are the Cardinals really going to not somehow end up in the first two slots of the draft? Are the Bears really not going to somehow end up in the first two slots of the draft? So I'm almost already putting out of my mind the idea that they'll ever be able to land either Williams or Drake May. And from what I've heard, and it's all preliminary stuff, and the quarterbacks I'm sure will get pumped up uh, in scouting circles and in media circles over the course of the next few months. But everything I've heard is the top two guys are clearly the top two guys, and then there's everybody else. And there might be four or five who end up going in the first round, but are they really first-round, change-your-franchise kind of quarterbacks? They might be. Right, Patrick Mahomes was, you know, the tenth pick to John Watson, even though he's a disaster right now. But he was the twelfth pick, so um, that pie in the sky thought works. Yours does if they get one of those top two guys. If they don't, to me, you're restarting, but there's no guarantee that you're any better than you are right now, and that is really hard for me to envision. So I will throw out before we move on to the next topic, uh, Fitzy's idea because, of course, Nick Fitzy Stevens, a co-host here at Six Rings and Football Things. His idea is sort of in line with yours, that you're probably not going to get one of the top two. He wants, let's say Marvin Harrison. Let's put him in that slot wherever you are. You get fortunate enough, and you get this generational wide receiver talent. I mean, what are these things I'm reading? Like, evaluators think he's already a top five NFL receiver, and he's never played an NFL game, that kind of thing. Um, And then you try to pull off the... Chargers old school Ladanian Tomlinson Drew Brees you now have that whatever third pick in the second round do you sit there and get the next quarterback that falls or do you trade up into the 20s to get Bo Nix or Penix or one of these guys and and I don't hate that idea by the way because you can pull that off you can make that work we see Jalen Hurts second round pick right like you can get a quarterback later in the draft if you do it right you pick the right guy and build around him and giving him a top five receiver right out the gates to bond with for five years seems like a plan. Anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves. We can talk again in January and February. Matthew Slater on our airwaves and even post game a little bit this week brought up human nature. We know Matthew Slater is the leader of this team, locker room. He's been through everything. He ain't been through this. And he acknowledged that. This is uncharted waters for him, the team, the leadership. And he talked about on the Meg, uh, Jones and Mego show you know, having to fight human nature now because it is human nature to maybe change your habits, to maybe do things a little bit different. Oh, we're two and six. I can show up at seven instead of six. Do you have that concern that the bottom could fall out of this locker room, that it could become a disaster? My concern is that it already has. I, you know, that, that would be a real concern if I'm Matthew Slater or David Andrews or one of the other guys that in this locker room that you know is going to want to have their... I think we might get a Mac Jones or Hunter Henry interview pumped in here in a second, Andy. Um, it's very exciting. We'll pause this. We'll be back. Back now here on Six Rings and Football Things. want to thank our producer, Justin Turpin, for doing a great job. He's going to weave this together because Jelani Tavai and some press conferences interrupted us. And I want Phil Perry from NBC Sports Boston to get back to his belief that, yes, the Patriots are fighting human nature at 2-6, and six, and that may already be a concern with this locker room. Yeah, and the reason I say that is because, number one, if you just watch them play, I mean, does this look like, I know they're not talented, and we just talked about that, they're not talented enough. Does it look like a team that's really bought in on all the coaching they're getting? I mean, they had seven penalties the other day, two busted coverages for touchdowns. 
it doesn't feel like outside of the stray Jabril Peppers or Pop Douglas or Kendrick Bourne before he got hurt, it doesn't feel like a really energized, locked in, focused on their details kind of team. And I think those are the things you're looking for if you're looking for a team that is fully all in on everything that's going on. So that's why I would already be concerned. And I wrote about this a few weeks ago. This was actually right after the Raiders game, because obviously before the firings about 12 hours ago, there were a lot of Patriots guys there. And I had a chance to talk to a few of the Patri- former Patriots guys in Vegas, and they were describing to me what felt like to them an unrecognizable sort of locker room. And a locker room that still, yes, had a few core staples like Matthew Slater, but they weren't sure who those torchbearers, that's what one person told me, you know, how he would describe Slater and Andrews and some of the others, who those torchbearers are passing the torches to. And so there's a there's a void. There's a leadership void, I think. Um, and there's questions about, there's haziness, there's a, there's a muddied nature to... Okay, who's 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 taking us into this next phase, whoever this is? Who's invested? Who has ownership over this team? So I'm already I would already be concerned about the human nature thing and just how invested, how bought in, how energized they're gonna be moving forward for the second half of the year. Yeah, that's an interesting topic, the the sort of torchbearers and who they're passing it to, because I do think there is a potential void because we talked about it earlier. If you're not re signing some of your draft picks, some of your better young players some of the other guys are mercenaries. I know Julius, I mean, uh, Jabril Peppers, not Julius Peppers, uh, has obviously taken on a leadership role, but that was a little bit of a question a couple of weeks ago with the Matthew Slater, no awe, yeah, we're a family. And I know David Andrews was like, it's our locker room, we can do what I want. It is your locker room in terms of Andrews and Slater. Who else's locker room is it after you guys? Okay, two things before we wrap this up. We'll get to the commanders in a minute, but I did want to ask you, you mentioned the Raiders, Josh McDaniels, canned. Um, when I look at, Football, right now, midway through a season, the three worst offenses in football are probably the Raiders, the Giants, and the Patriots, who have or had Josh McDaniels, Brian Dable, Josh McDaniels' buddy, who he brought here to New England from Michigan State, and then Bill O'Brien, who has crossed paths with both of them in the Patriot way. Um, Is that a coincidence that those are three of the worst offenses in football, or has offensive football gone to a different place and the Patriots and the Patriot-tied offenses have not gone there? It's a great question, and Tom Kern and I have kicked this around a little bit. I wonder, I have a few different theories. I'd love to hear your theory. Theory number one for me is that I don't know if it's the X's and O's offense per se, if it's the old Earhart-Perkins style of play that is antiquated and it's just not working, or if we should be focused on the quarterbacks with those teams and looking at it and saying, well, okay, it could just be a misevaluation at that position. And maybe there's something to that where you have a certain style of offense. So you don't need a certain kind of quarterback. You need quarterback X and maybe quarterback X is what is antiquated and it's not the offense per se. But I would, I would look at it and say, I wonder if there is also maybe this factors into the evaluation of that position, is there is there some kind of hubris involved? And this isn't the case with Bill O'Brien. He was he, Bill, he was Mac Jones' coach the day he took the job. But do these guys look at it and say, we don't need a, a special player at that position. We just need someone to run our scheme. And it's been proven over time that it can work. 
what is your take on this? Because I, I wonder if they look at it and say, well, it worked with Tom Brady or it worked with Josh Allen if you're Brian Dayball. But we could get somebody else to do something similar and get pretty good results. I wonder if that's part of the equation for those guys. Yeah, I absolutely think it's the quarterback situation. And I think it's the the mentality of those guys because of where they came from. And you, you by osmosis, you, you take things in and it, it affects your judgment. I don't think they're looking for the elite talents at quarterback. And the Patriots are the perfect example. You could not have invested less in quarterback over the last year than the Patriots. I mean, we go back to, to training camp. You finish camp, you make cuts, and you have one quarterback. And he's Mac Jones. He's not that good. It's not like he's Tom Brady and you know he'll never miss anything. We'll worry about backups later. And then the everything they've done, hell, in Vegas, having Cunningham as the backup when he is barely a quarterback, had barely taken reps as a quarterback. So they've kind of not invested in the quarterback position where basically the rest of the world says that's the most important thing in all of sports is the quarterback. So I think it's that. Now, I do think it's twofold. I do think that this offense may be a little bit dated. I won't say bad. I think it could succeed. If you put a good quarterback and some talent here or in Vegas or whatever, I think it could succeed. But I also would say this. Do I think if Mike McDaniel went to the, the Raiders, would they be better immediately with Devontae Adams and Jacoby Myers and Josh Jacobs and some guys that I respect talent-wise? Yeah, I think they'd be better immediately. Yeah, I, I agree with that too. I, I do think there are certain things, and it's interesting because the offenses are different, even if you're talking Dayball, O'Brien, McDaniels. Like McDaniels, just watching them on Monday Night Football, and the fullback, right? Jakob Johnson is like a big part of what they do or did. Uh, whereas here, there is no fullback, and it's a lot of spread it out and empty formations and shotgun. You know, So there are differences between the offenses, but I do wonder if the use of motion, the emphasis on speed, is it not the way it is around a lot of successful offenses across the NFL? Is it not that way in New England, in Vegas, in New York, because they just don't think they need that or is it not there is there an unwillingness to adapt again Bill O'Brien I thought just in the last couple of weeks has done a lot more with motion he's not Mike McDaniel but I've been I would say pleasantly surprised at their willingness to incorporate some of that stuff but RPOs RPOs are everywhere right now and they're they're coming at you fast and furious depending on which team you're looking at Josh McDaniels basically doesn't do them I don't know about Brian Dayball as much. I think they they did a bunch in Buffalo with Josh Allen. Um, but it's still not a huge part of what they do here. They're doing it more with Bill O'Brien. I think they're trying to get Mac Jones comfortable with it by doing more of it. But it's still not like – it doesn't feel like it's a major, major portion of their offensive philosophy. So there's probably parts – there's probably a number of different reasons why these offenses are so bad. <laughs> and it's got to do with the scheme, but it has to do with the quarterback, how you evaluate it how you rely on it yeah it's like everything else there's multiple layers there and there's probably some coincidence to it that those three with those ties are there but it's also the reality okay the reality is patriots are two and six back to gillette stadium what are we going to get against the commanders who just unloaded their two best pass rushers who hunter henry when we were interrupted accidentally smiled when acknowledging that he wouldn't have to face chase young and then said no 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 i they, they got backups this is a league of opportunity the backups will be just as good um what are you expecting from these patriots against these commanders who sam howell they have a better better receivers than you keeps that trend going by the way that the opponent will always have better targets than the patriots uh, mclaurin Dotson, they have some talent. What what are you expecting from this matchup? 
how embarrassing would it be to lose to the Commanders after they trade away two of their maybe best three players? Like, I love Terry McLaurin. I would put him on that list, way up high the list. But, man, you can't, you can't lose to a team that is actively trying to make itself worse, right? I mean, I, it is possible. I say can't. I, it certainly is. Have you watched the season? <laughs> Will I be picking against them? I might. I might. I just think it's really hard to pick this Patriots team right now. I just think the circumstances, it almost makes it worse for them because at least if those two players were still with the commanders and they somehow wrecked the game, you could understand it. Now they're I'm I'm trying to look at their depth chart right now. Casey Tuhill is Casey Tuhill, and the only reason I know that name is because he actually was a pretty freaky athlete coming out of Stanford a few years ago, and so he was on my prototypical Patriots list and smart guy. He might have actually even been a Campbell Trophy finalist, which is like the academic Heisman they call. It. That's neither here nor there. But if Casey Tuhill owns Mike Owenu or Trent Brown like on the edge in this game, I mean, boy. It's can you get lower than where they are right now, Andy? That I think would be a step lower than where they are right now. I don't feel good about uh, their odds in this one. I do wonder. Do you think they'll be able to score much, the Commanders? Because I like that Sam Howell's a bit of a gunslinger. It feels like he's sort of volatile though in terms of what the gunslinging will result in. Yeah, I I think if they play the way they played against Miami for the most part, this is a winnable game. Like if you play from in front, if you get a turnover early, that Howell may give you the opportunity for, whether it's Duggar, Pepper, somebody, you know, J.C. Jackson maybe finally, you know, gets a pick and sort of changes things there. I think you can beat Washington because I do wonder, the reports out of Washington are basically everybody wanted to keep those players except ownership. This was sort of a really high-end decision of where we're going as an organization, not a team. Those That sort of divide between organization and team. And I do, it's like what you said, if the Patriots had traded away Duggar on Wenu, Uche, how do you expect them to go fight the good fight on a Sunday? So on the road, after your team sold off, I think that gives the Patriots the slight edge, but uh, I also think your tone was right. How do you pick the Patriots? Like, how do you feel confident picking the Patriots? It doesn't matter where, it doesn't matter when or against who. Well, and they just gave the Eagles a real game. And again, I know they had those two really good defensive players, but they scored on a good defense. I don't know if the Patriots right now offensively are really built to to score much more than 20 points. It's just, it's everything is so hard for them offensively. Trent Brown, I actually give him credit. I don't know where you stand on your guy Trent Brown right now because he's he's clearly playing through something. And it hasn't been great, but he's, at, he's seemingly trying to grind it out. Can you run on the commanders? I don't think you can throw on them. You just lost your best receiver. I mean, what's their offensive ceiling right now points-wise? Even against call it a slightly below average group it's still low 20s right Mm -hmm. so man i don't know what's your score give me a score you want to score you're going to hold me to this too aren't you yep because this is the start of winning nine straight games to close out the year (laughs) who would say that who would even suggest that that's ridiculous i'm going to give uh the commanders the 26 to 20 victory at gillette stadium on sunday 
I like it. I'll urge everybody to go over to the uh, Six Rings preview podcast for my breakdown of the game and my score. But I'm pretty sure if the Commanders score 26 points, they win the game. Because as you said, I'm not sure the Patriots can score 26 points. I'm not sure they can score 20. So I think you were being kind of kind there. He's Phil Perry, NBC Sports Boston. Appreciate your time. Apologize for the uh, interruption from these damn Patriots that don't know what a schedule is. And when they say they're supposed to be here, they come early. He, uh, he gave us his insight, and the takeaway for me from Phil Perry would be very simple. Already worried about the locker room and human nature and where the mindset of this team is. But some of us who like to turn lemons into lemonade would say, that's a good thing because you lose games and then you pick really high next April. Thank you, Phil Perry. Thank you for listening. It's been another Six Rings and Football Things beat writer podcast from Gillette Stadium. Six Rings out. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.